Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association. The voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. The budget battle begins now that Governor Tony Evers unveiled his proposal. We dive into what he's prioritizing and what areas Republicans may be able to find compromise on. Plus, we are days away from the February 21st primary election. We have the latest on what's at stake in the state Supreme Court race and the 8th Senate District. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for February 17th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. All right, we get to dive into Governor Tony Evers' state budget proposal, which he unveiled to the legislature on Wednesday evening. So let's just talk first about how much it's going to cost and how much the governor wants to spend. It would spend nearly $104 billion over the biennium, with total spending would increase about almost 18% in the first year and then dropping to 0.8% in the second year. Now, state spending would increase 23% in the first year as well. And just a lot of new positions would also be added in the governor's budget. He wants to add nearly 817 new full-time positions across state agencies, including 80 alone at DISPIS, the Department of Safety and Professional Services, who has been dealing with a backlog of handing out licenses to a wide variety of agencies. Before we get into what's new, what's old, and a lot of the proposals that are stuffed in there, let's first hear from Governor Tony Evers because he struck a very similar tone of what he had in the State of the State of the Dress, an an inaugural address, talking about finding compromise that, you know, he said, something along the lines of even if you don't agree with me, you know, don't don't mm-hmm. scrap my budget. Let's find areas where we can work together. Meanwhile, the biggest argument from Republican leadership was that it spends way too much and they weren't happy about it. Let's take a listen from both sides. I promise you this, in this budget there's more that unites us than divides us. These aren't Republican or Democrat priorities, they're Wisconsin priorities. Areas where we should be able to find common ground. This is a budget about getting back to basics and doing the right thing. Expanding high-speed internet, improving health care access, reducing child care costs, keeping communities safe, building more housing, addressing PFAS and water contaminants, funding our schools, improving mental health. And as we balance this historic opportunity with our historic responsibility, Let's give these priorities deliberation and debate that's worthy of the traditions and the people of this state. In some ways, I felt like I was watching Oprah Winfrey, a billion for you, a billion for you, a billion for you. Uh, When you add up the entire budget spending, I think it would be the largest increase in spending in the history of the state of Wisconsin. All of that coupled with massive tax increases, expansions of new programs, I would say while there are some areas in Governor Evers' budget that I'm sure we will hope to find common ground on, our solutions are gonna look dramatically different. We know that in the last budget that was put forward, um, we invested in schools, we invested in tax relief, and we have now seen the fruits of our efforts of which Governor Evers spent the last two years taking credit for his minor part in the activities that occurred. 
the surpluses that have been generated by the hardworking citizens of Wisconsin is because they're overtaxed. It's not because we didn't spend too much. So now let's dive into what he's proposing. So we'll first start with some of the new things that we saw that he hasn't introduced in past budgets before. Number one is most uh, public and, or excuse me, public and most public sector workers will get 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave. Also, there was a lot of investments in workforce. Most of his speech centered around how he wants to boost the economy, attract and retain workers here in Wisconsin. He also said yesterday um, on his kind of launching his statewide tour, he believes one solution solution to welcoming workers here and keeping them stay here is, of course, giving uh, workers paid family leave. Also, uh, extending the Milwaukee Brewers lease. This came out uh, as he was kind of teasing nuggets of his budget proposal throughout the week. And what he would do is uh, give a portion of the state surplus, $290 million, $290 million uh, to make sure that Milwaukee stays here and in return, the Milwaukee Brewers would uh, uh, keep their lease here. Actually, excuse me, let me correct that. The $290 million would pay for renovations at the stadium, and in return, the Milwaukee Brewers would extend their lease to stay uh, for the, over the next two decades. So let's kind of dive into first just paid family leave, JR. There is a difference, of course, right now between what the federal government offers and what the state offers. And there's going to be kind of some get into the weeds here about who's going to be paying for this, because you know, looking into the proposal, it looks like employers are going to have to pay a portion, and yeah. so are employees. So current law in Wisconsin is you can take up to two weeks of unpaid leave, and there are restrictions on what you can use it for. There are also like parameters of how often you take the two weeks off, those kinds of things. This proposal is for paid leave. So if you take that time off, you're getting paid. To pay for it, the state would put money up front. They would seed the program. means the day it starts, January 1st of 2025, you could take those that paid leave off and get money. Then you would start doing a payroll deduction from both employers and employees to keep the funding program going forward. It would work kind of like, like unemployment insurance does, but unemployment though is only paid for by employers, a tax on it. Basically you're paying money in, there's a pot of money, then it goes out to pay for um, this, these workers who want to leave. Now, some questions out there. What would that deduction be? Um, as I've read the budget, there's not a clear, it's going to be five bucks a paycheck, a dollar, whatever it's going to be, it's not in there. My reading of the budget is Department of Workforce Development would develop rules of how this would work, they administer the program and decide what that deduction is. So paid family leave was a popular idea. Um, Tim Michaels even talked about the campaign trail uh, running for governor last summer. But the details are important. What's it going to cost you if you have this program? That's one thing I don't know, and I think that's really going to shape the discussion. Now, Republicans most likely are going to take the entire thing out and just scrap it. Uh, there will be a vote by the Joint Finance Committee when they first get the budget to take, if it passes prologue, to take everything he wants out, basically, uh, one shot. So that's going to put it aside, but he's going to, the government push for this, saying this is what people want. They want to have this opportunity. We just have to pay for it. Right, and he launched his statewide budget tour, um, and this was one thing that he talked about at a scissor-making factory yesterday in Middleton. And he also was asked about, you know, he did touch on the abortion issue in the speech. And a reporter asked along the lines, you know, why, you know, why bring that up uh, again? He's talked about it for a very long time. He said, well, one way to attract workers here is that he believes a lot of people don't want to come to Wisconsin because of the state's current 1849 criminal abortion ban that bans almost all abortions unless a mother's life is at risk. Another thing to note is, I think the big question is, will there be compromise on paid leave? 
because you noted Republican candidates, Tim Michaels did say on the campaign trail he would support it. He offers it through Michaels Corporation. We also heard Rebecca Clayfish, the former Lieutenant Governor, and Tim Rantham did show signs of support as well. Another thing I want to note too is in August, two months after Roe v. Wade was overturned, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had a report out that Wisconsin Right to Life, which is an anti-abortion lobbying group, they were quoted saying that they were really pushing for this, that they were, quote, uh, seriously considering it and possibly drafting some legislation. So I called them yesterday and said, hey, what do you think about the governor's proposal? This is something that has kind of piqued your interest in recent months. And they didn't want to comment yet because they still wanted to read through the proposal. But this could be a way, possibly, that this group is a powerful lobbying group that could maybe sway some Republicans. Now, I think, you know, the politics behind it is that Republicans don't want to give the governor any victories and don't want to side with the governor or appear that they're on the same page. I mean, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Um, but that will just be something to watch for going forward because, you know, there's this possibility of what ends up happening with abortion laws in Wisconsin. Are Republicans going to have to take a vote on it? Are they going to have to show um, what they want to see here in the state if, if that ever were to happen? Now, we know it's possibly going to you know, end up in the state Supreme Court, but just something to keep an eye out on. Yeah, uh, Devin Lemahue, Senator Leader, said basically we already have a more generous benefit under state law than what the Fed requires. That's that two weeks on paid leave. I had a Republican argument this week, though, that Republicans have a problem with abortion right now. Um, they are losing support with key constituencies, especially suburban women. These proposals from the governor, like family paid medical leave, could at least soften their image somewhat. Um, I just don't know if they're ready to embrace the idea. And remember, you know, this program, it'd be for public employ employers with 50 or more workers. So if you're a small employer like my employer, uh, we don't have 50 people working with politics.com, we wouldn't be covered by it. There's also a separate pot of money for a public employee, so state employees, UW employees who have their own leave program. I know Republicans are going to embrace that, much like you're saying compromise stuff, the Brewers thing. Um, Robin Voss, when it was released, said the governor did not do any meaningful discussion with us or bring us in to talk about this. He drops his bomb in the budget. And talking to people, uh, my impression has been that no, the governor didn't bring Robin Voss or Dev Lemmy to negotiate, but there's also not a good relationship or a strong enough one to earn the opportunity to have that discussion. So what the the governor's talking about is $290 million up front to the brewers, not to the brewers, sorry, but to the stadium district board. That would money be invested because the board has $70 million right now. It'd be invested over 20 years. It'd produce roughly $450 million for improvements, all right? In talking to insiders this week, their impression is there's no way Republicans are going to allow this proposal as is to go through. Number one, um, they're not going to give Evers a win. This is Evers' idea. They're not going to go along with that. Number two, there's going to be a demand from Republicans that the brewer's ownership have some kind of buy-in, have some kind of dollar amount committed to like what's going on here. The idea like 290 million in state money up front, just here you go, that's not going to happen. This is symbolic of the capital, the, the bad relation to the capital. In the olden days, not to sound like an old fogey, but um, if you had something like this, you'd bring everybody in, there'd be discussions, you'd kind of hash it out, but there'd be a trust established, you're not going to blow up the deal by leaking it to the public. There's no trust right now. So yeah, I'm pretty sure what I'm get, getting is that Evers did not bring in lawmakers. I think they knew what was coming. I knew the, brewer, I, the brewers have a team of lobbyists. They're letting lawmakers know we have an issue. We need to talk to you about right, this Republicans stuff. Right, Republicans were aware of this, yes. They weren't shaping not it, Not of though. the governor's plan, yeah. correct. But. They weren't shaping it. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing to watch. With the Bucks, when it happened, when the team was sold by Herb Cole, 
there was understanding. We, the Bucks, need a new stadium. We don't have a good one right now. It was known there would be some kind of change. It began with lawmakers and the team. The governor got involved, Scott Walker, um, Tom Barrett, then the mayor, Chris Abley. They were all at one point around the governor's conference room table talking about how do we get this done. That doesn't happen right now in the Capitol. And that's why I'm bringing this up is the shaping of this budget going forward is what does Evers want out of this thing? What's he willing to do to work with lawmakers to get them on his side? They're not going to dismiss everything he wants, but how badly does he want it? Does he want to have like this speech where he throws all these ideas out there and says, hey, this is what I want, now give it to me? Or does he want to go out there and work with them to shape what they're going to do? Because they have the opportunity right now to rip everything out and do their own budget right. like they've done the last two times. What's the governor want? And it also is important to note that the Brewers lease is not up until 2030, but discussions are going underway right now. Uh, the Brewers officials, you know, they say, hey, there's a state surplus. The opportunity is there. But as many times we quote on this show, they're not just going to write them a blank check and make sure everything is OK. There's going to be something in exchange that is likely going to come after this. And don't forget, the state is part ownership, part owner of American family field now, sorry. Yes. <laughs> so the district board created, when the, when the sales tax was created to fund the stadium, there was this lease negotiated and we are part owner of that facility. If there's no team there, that facility is basically worthless. So this is unfortunately in some people's minds, the price of doing business if you have professional sports in your state, because the Bucks have gotten state subsidies or a local uh, public subsidy, the Packers have gotten them, and the Brewers are asking for a new one, it's maybe the price of doing business for having a professional sports franchise. Before we move on to proposals that the governor has put in his budget in the past, also worth mentioning, you know, he introduced his middle income tax cut mm -hmm. plan and uh, his uh, formula to boost shared revenue, which would give more money to local communities to pay for fire, uh, EMS, police, a lot of other essential services. Republicans also, uh, when we thought there was going to be possible compromise uh, on the shared revenue plan that Republicans say was their idea that Evers stole. Um, now we're getting a sense from Voss uh, after the budget address saying that we're going to come up with something even different. So just something to keep mm -hmm. an eye on. So where we thought there was going to be possible compromise, now we know with tax cuts, Republicans have always been against to just targeting the middle class and the governor's plan. Meanwhile, Republicans have this flat tax plan out there. Who and yep. benefits from tax cuts down the road will remain to be seen, but those are two other things uh, worth noting. Now, Every single budget that the governor has proposed, this is now his third. There's a lot of similarities, a mm -hmm. lot of policy proposals that he kind of sneaks in there. And it's almost fair to be certain that none of these will get past the GOP-controlled legislature. Like you said, they already said they're going to start from scratch, or they're going to remove everything. So here's what's old. Um, allowing undocumented immigrants to obtain a driver's license, automatic voter registration, raising the minimum wage, Medicaid expansion, uh, background checks on all gun purchases, quote, they're called red flag laws, extreme risk pr uh, protection orders. Um, one little tweak that he did uh, make is to legalizing medical and recreational marijuana. The tax revenue made off of that would be used to invest in county behavioral health services. So that's kind of what's out there now. Um, you know, he does this every every year. Some of them gain traction. Of course, everyone likes the marijuana headlines, but uh, they're not going to flow well with uh, Republicans. No, so Republicans are talking about working off of base, which sounds dramatic, but it's not. What happens is um, during this process for joint finance, the budget committee, if you have work off the governor's proposal, you have to vote to take things out and then change things. 
by voting up front to work off of base, you're just taking everything out in one shot. And what happens is during each line by line of the budget they go over, the Legislative Fiscal Bureau prepares a paper that has options for lawmakers. Every paper will have the governor's option on that position. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're ignoring the governor, but they are working off the current law to do this. So that's a little bit semantics, but it's still a message of this is so bad in our minds, we have to work off current law. And to put some of the spending in perspective, that north of $100 billion, that's everything, state, federal, money, tuition at UW, those kinds of things. That's a lot of money. There's so much money in this budget, Emily, that Evers is calling for taking $500 million and putting it in the rainy day fund. We already have $1.7 billion there. That's when I first started, there was nothing in the rainy day fund. He just wants to put $500 million there. He wants to put $500 million into the statutory required balance. Basically, in the checkbook the state has, there's a law that says you have to keep basically about $100 million bucks right now. All right, that's a drop in the bucket of what we spend every year from the general fund, but he wants to increase that by $500 million. Basically what that means is Evers had so much money, he said, I don't need this billion. To put, to keep that in mind, there's so much money, I don't need that billion dollars. Because you mean, good. yeah, good. <laughs> I don't need it. That's what's mind blowing is how much is in there. But you know, things like Medicaid expansion, two years ago when Evers proposed it, it was going to save the state about one point five, one point six billion dollars in general purpose re revenue, but also generate one point six billion in federal funds. It has the same GPR savings, but now it generates two point two billion in federal money. That just tells you like how much cash these things generate. And also if the Republicans don't do these things, they have to make up that money in their version of the budget. Also over the next four months, this is kind of the next steps. Joint Finance yep. Committee will be going through this. You know, like you said, they'll have the governor's proposal there. But one thing that we've seen throughout the budget process when it comes to like staffing positions too, they'll consider what the governor mm -hmm. proposed, say for, you know, Dispis, he wants 80s positions. Unlikely that he's going to get all 80, but I don't know. They're probably going to give them some positions. So those are the kind of stories that we're going to be seeing over the next, you know, several months of, you know, taking things line by line. It's not like they're saying no to everything, but it's not always going to be exactly what the governor wanted. In the governor's mind, he is pulling lawmakers more toward where he wants to go by being aggressive with stuff. Again, some things are almost like cut and paste from past budgets. They're not going to happen. But with the $2.6 billion and more money for schools, he feels like he's putting Republicans in a position of they have to do something for schools. They can't ignore that. Now, interesting to watch is how much COVID money is left out there. I'm already hearing like, you know, kind of questions for Republicans of, okay, wait, how much has the governor spent for those uh, federal COVID funds? How much is left? How much do cities have left and counties have left? If we're going to give them more shared revenue, shouldn't we know like what's not been spent, how much more is coming in? How about schools? What's not been spent yet of this money? That's going to shape that discussion as well about where the money goes, state money goes in the end. Because that was the argument from Republicans mm -hmm. during the last budget cycle is the bit. You know, schools have all this COVID money. Local governments can, you know, make their own investments in police, et cetera, expand their budgets however they want because of how much was pouring into the state. I would say most of that is running dry. At least yeah. I know for the city of Milwaukee officials that I talked to, they say in the next few months they're going to be really strapped for cash, which is why, of course, they've been really lobbying for that 1% uh, sales tax increase for the uh, city and county. All right, now we have an election on Tuesday, yes. JR. I would hope most people on the show know that's happening. Um, <laughs> but here we're going to talk about kind of some of the two key races. Of course, that we've been covering on the show for a very long time is the state Supreme Court race. We're going to show you just a graphic and remind everyone of who is running, of course, 
course, there are two liberals, Janet Protosiewicz and Everett Mitchell, and two conservative-leading candidates, Dan Kelly and Jennifer Duro. Now, JR, you have been tracking fundraising in this race. We know it is, you are almost certain, is going to shatter uh, nationwide records. It's already on track of breaking uh, state records. And what we're seeing, too, is that a lot of money in this race is from outside mm -hmm. super PACs. I mean, you got national groups, a lot of them going towards uh, Protosiewicz, who has the most cash on hand right now out of all of the candidates in the race. And one of the main reasons is because she is talking about an issue, the abortion yeah. issue, that was very uh, a successful tactic for Democrats in the midterm elections. So just the raw numbers, Protosiewicz, again, in the pre-primary period, which is January 1st to February 6th, raised more by herself than her three opponents combined, all right? And of what the three opponents raised, Dora was about half of it. It's amazing what Protestant has put together. Now, you have to report in Wisconsin, not just what you raise in a reporting period, but also in the two weeks between the reporting period and election, any large donation, they call late contribution report. Protestant continues to pull in money, a thousand bucks at a time, in huge chunks. And the first one she filed, I noticed that most money came from out of state. Of like $195,000, only seven grand came from Wisconsin donors. And Republicans have made an issue about that. But I went and looked. Going back to June 1st, was right after Protosiewicz announced. She's detailed about $1.8 million in contributions to Ethics Commission. Again, the late contribution, only 1000 bucks or more. So 50 bucks a time, 100 bucks, not reporting those. She says she's raised $2 million overall. But of that $1.8 million, $1.1 million came from in-state donors. So you take away all the out-of-state money she's raised, she's still outraising the entire, it's, it's been an impressive operation, and she has two things going for her. One, there's a national attention on this race. She seems like the strongest of the progressive contenders, and the Democratic establishment types are coalescing around her. So that's going on. The second thing I'm seeing is more than $7 million in spending on TV, radio, and expenditures. So now, if you're a group that does like mail that says vote for, vote against, support, oppose, those kinds of things, digital ads, um, robocalls, have to go to the Ethics Commission. So between those filings, talking with the campaigns, what they've said they're doing, plus my media buying sources, I've tailed that $7 million spent through, I think, yesterday, the day before. Of that, about $2.3 million is anti-Doro stuff. A Better Wisconsin Together is a Democratic group attacking Doro on... Uh, basically decisions that she's made as a judge, sentences, working as a, a criminal defense attorney. Then you have Fair Courts America doing about $1.8 million, and I'm sure it's going to grow before Tuesday, backing Daniel Kelly. If you take what Doro's spent and the group's backing her, she's around $650,000, which normally is a lot of money. But this race is unique. I'm bringing this up because there's really a fight for second place right now and talking to most people. No offense to Everett Mitchell, but... He hasn't the resources to break through the way that Protosiewicz has. With Kelly and Doro, Doro has had this buzz because she's uh, newer. She didn't lose by 10 points in 2020 like Dan Kelly did, the Waukesha Christmas Parade trial. How do you, though, go getting out, I mean, getting out spent uh, $3.4 million to six? That's a lot of money. In talking to insiders, my impression is the Kelly people are making the argument now of, Look, Doro's getting beat up about this crime stuff. We are a cleaner, quote unquote, candidate because there's no soft on crime thing with us. We weren't a circuit court judge's bad decisions. Protosiewicz, um, every judge in Wisconsin in criminal court has signed off on a plea deal or had a decision that's gonna, that could be fodder for a TV ad saying you right. went soft on crime. Kelly doesn't have that, he's gonna argue. So I'm a stronger position to get through this and 
look at all this money coming in. Kelly's saying, look, they're going to spend 20 million bucks to help me. She's not going to get that money. Um, she's not, we're not sure about Dora and if she's really, you know, a constitutional conservative kind of thing. Because he's touting, I've already been on the bench, you yeah. know, I, I think most people know how I'm going to rule on certain things. I mean, he's not saying that quote unquote, but I mean, that's the perception yeah. that he's getting. Look, you can, you can trust me and, yeah. you know, you could give me a lot of money for my campaign. Also worth noting, which we brought up last week, is the amount of money already attacking Protosewitz in the race when we haven't even gotten through the primary yet. I mean, yes, she is the clear front runner on the liberal side, like you said, no offense to Everett Mitchell, he just doesn't have the resources um, to be on TV and to get that name recognition out there. And, you know, also um, going forward, I mean, that is just something that really stands out. And often we don't see mm -hmm. even before a primary um, to have these attacks already going through if you don't even know you're going up against her, right? The conservative <laughs> groups are saying the general election is on right now. We cannot mm -hmm. let her get out in front. What I'm watching is do we have a replay of the Michaels Clayfish primary the numbers on Tuesday? Watch the returns in southeastern Wisconsin, you know, Waukesha County, Ozaki, uh, Milwaukee County. Do we see some of the numbers to what Clayfish did and Michaels did? Because Michaels won because he ate into Clayfish's southeastern Wisconsin um, advantage and ran up the score out state. As a Republican, you can't win anymore as a Republican by, without state numbers. Uh, there's not as many people anymore as in like Dane County and southeast Wisconsin. But in a Republican primary, you still can. So if if Kelly hits the Michaels kind of number in the wow counties, he's got a shot to win. And that money, you can't ignore that money. That's a lot yeah. of money being spent uh, against Dora right now in this race. All right, let's also just hit on the 8th Senate District, which of course is a vacant seat that three Republicans and one Democrat are fighting for. So that will also be on some people's ballots uh, in that area. Um, one thing that we just want to highlight, of course, you can see everyone who's up there, uh, former uh, or Two uh, state representatives are currently vying for the seat, Representative Janelle Branchin, Representative Dan Knoll, uh, Knoll and Van Mobley. He is a, a, the, a village, Thienesville Village president, excuse me, and the only Democrat in the race is Jody Habish-Sidkin. Now, what we really just want to highlight here is kind of what's at stake in the race. Of course, before Alberta Dar Darling, whose seat is open right now, what they're running for, Republicans after the midterms gained a supermajority in the state Senate. And what that means is that they actually were able to have in impeachment powers and they can move, remove cabinet officials, um, other secretaries, judges, um, and suspend certain Senate rules. But, you know, they only can get that back if a Republican is elected to that seat. And it's only happened that they've used these type, quote unquote, impeachment powers one time, I believe it was about 170 years ago, and it wasn't successful. But we know the state of politics is much different nowadays. You know, it's a possibility. I, you know, that's something we could see down the line. Yeah. Remember at the seat, this is a 55% Republican seat. In a normal year, normal turnout, normal circumstances, it should not be competitive. But you add the confluence of the Supreme Court race, the abortion issue, the money I'm seeing being raised, and it makes it at least a competitive seat in this environment. All right, let's get to stock picks. And speaking of a candidate in the Senate race, uh, Jody Habich Sitkin is rising. Yeah, so talking to people this week, uh, Democrats couldn't have found a, a better recruit for this seat. She's got fundraising chops. She's outraising the field yet again. Um, she's got a great background, great story to tell. Uh, her family owns a manufacturing firm in the area, environmental attorney. And having a professional suburban woman talking to professional suburban female voters about abortion is not a bad thing to have in this environment right now. Add all that together, it still might not be enough because it's a Republican seat. So watching this race, 
it's clear that Republicans are hoping that Janelle Branch does not get through. They think she's the weakest of the three. Um, Canodal is getting the most help. And looking at uh, filings with the Ethics Commission, there's about $225,000 to $230,000 being spent between two groups tied to Adam Kinzinger, the former Republican congressman who's uh, obviously a Trump critic, going after Branchen. The Republican State Leadership Committee is spending money to promote Dan Canodal. Uh, Devin Lemihu, the Senate leader, happens to be on the executive board of the RSLC. Probably that's a coincidence. Um, but they're spending money to try and get Canodal through. Uh, you've got Van Mobley up on TV. He spent 100000 bucks. But Jody has got the money. The question is, does she get the right opponent? She may need Janelle to get through to have the best shot to win that seat. And speaking of Janelle, she is mixed this week because she's got a, she got a pretty big endorsement from former President Donald Trump, but not a surprise because no. she is, uh, they're friends, I should say. So, yeah. <laughs> Trump endorsed her, okay, but it's only f less than a week out from the election. You can't put that in mail or like in a TV radio. It was too late. You maybe could do digital if you had it, but, but she doesn't have the money to do it. She's not raising great money. She has the passion of the Trumpers uh, in that area, uh, her connection to her constituents, who you know, she's represented, and not much else. You know, everybody else has resources. Everybody else has, like, media going up. The challenge is, is that enough? Is it enough to get through with that? And talking to Republicans, they are, like, sweating this one out. They are not sure how to view this primary and what's going to happen on Tuesday. And following this week is the Republican Party of Wisconsin because of fundraising numbers. So this, it's not fair to compare them to the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. I mean, Ben Wickler has created a fundraising machine with an assist from Tony Evers. So, yes, the Democratic Party raised $3.5 million, and that is unbelievable. Same time, raising $56,000 the first five weeks of the year when you have a Supreme Court race coming up in April is not a great sign that the party deciding to go to a paid chair in Brian Schimming is paying off. Now, there will be lots of reasons for this. Schimming just got you know elected chair in December. He's focusing on building relationships with the grassroots, a long-term relationship with donors. He's introducing himself. But $56,000, if you look at that report closely, 20 grand came from one donor. Another 22 grand came from Roger Roth, former uh, state senator, ran for lieutenant governor, transferred money to the party. And 5,700 bucks was branch and paying the party for a mail piece. Uh, state parties offer candidates the opportunity to like pay them to do their mail. You get a better rate, that kind of stuff. Take that off the $56,000. Yeah, yeah, it's not, not good. Not much, yeah. Now, the challenge for Republicans is how do you get back on track with the attention going on? Um, yes. Ben Wicker raised money from out of state. The $3.5 million included a $2 million check from Reed Hoffman, the LinkedIn founder. Take away all the out-of-state money. And they still outraise the Republican Party 7 to 1 in this period. The Republican Party, look, it's not a great report. They need to show soon they're getting their legs under them because the whole problem has been for the party is fundraising. It's not getting better just yet. It's early. You know, give Brian some time to get his legs under him. But the pressure is on to do something soon and show that they're for real when it comes to being a player in the Supreme Court race. And they'll start talking about the state Supreme Court race after Tuesday, so that could help to energize their base. Mm -hmm. Maybe more people are willing to open up their wallets. Something we'll keep an eye on. All right, that will do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.